Would you open your Bible tonight to the book of Matthew? Inasmuch as I like to mention faith every now and then and occasionally once in a while talk about it, I'd like to share with you a message tonight, not anything new. The message of faith is always profound because it supersedes all the world's doubt and all the wonder and the amazement of this world. Faith supersedes all of it. It's the one supreme message in the New Testament that brings you peace, that can calm the angry waves, that can lift the spirit. Nothing more than faith in God. And yet it's such a discussed subject in the Bible, written about so much, and yet there's so many people that still struggle with the reality of it, or the manifestation of it, when's it going to work and how's it going to work and do I have it? And there's not a lot of exuberance and excitement over what the message gives us as an exuberant and exciting message. To have faith in God is to have the assurance that what God has promised, God will do. And everybody needs that as a Christian. That's what we all need. Now in Matthew's we're going to look at three passages of Scripture here. I'll mention briefly a verse in each one of these, and then I want to come back and begin tonight with discussing these three passages, which you're all familiar with, and then I want to talk on this subject in closing on the law of be it unto you. How many of you know the Bible mentions more than once or implies more than once in the Bible a word from Jesus that says, be it unto you? Be it unto you. And there's a reason why he would say, why God would say, seeing what he sees, that he would say to those he said it to, be it unto you according to your faith, or as thou hast believed, so be it unto you. And what is it? What is it that he saw? He didn't say that to everybody. If he only said it once, it's, it's worthy of our investigation because I really want him to be able to say that to me every time I ask him for something. Be it unto you, Hamilton, according to your faith, because of one thing that's sure about that verse, that's fair. That is really fair. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 13. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed that same hour. Then in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 29, then touched he their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. Let me ask you a question. Is that still true today? While we're sitting here at this modern age that we're in, is the same thing true to you sitting here as it was to those two blind men or to the centurion? They were human beings like us, no different, and yet there was something they had they weren't born with, something that was given to them. And what was given to them, they exercised it, and Jesus looked at them both and said, be it unto you according to as you have believed, according to your faith. Then in Matthew 15 and in verse 28, Matthew 15 and verse 28, then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto you, even as you will. Would he still say that today, or is it possible that this is still for today? that ordinary human beings like us can still have that same response from Jesus as she had, as the two blind men had, as the centurion had. Could we somehow today qualify as having what they had? So that Jesus would say to us, be it unto you, Scott, as you have believed. Because isn't it true that when he said that, Things didn't just instantly happen. 
but they were to take what he said as divine assurance that it will happen. And in their hearts, it was enough. All they needed from him was him to say that, and that sufficed. The Bible says that same hour, this or that was healed, or the daughter was healed, or the centurion servant was healed. But before any virtue went out, any power, any great need that we've sought God for, before that need is met, there first comes this. It's faith. And when you have it, God's response to your faith is the same in any generation, in any age. Be it unto you according to your faith. Sadly, though, doubt is like faith. Doubt is of the same essence of faith. Faith comes by hearing the word. That's a different dimension. But doubt comes by hearing the word. Doubt comes by hearing what people tell you. Doubt comes by reading the latest discovery or the latest statistics. Doubt comes from that kind, loving parent or grandmother or your friends who tell you that, well, don't get your hopes up. This might not work. Doubt comes from the medical profession, which can only say, well, we feel good about this, but you never know. So you can never just rest and be assured that it's going to happen. Absolutely sure. Because it might not. It could, but it might not. Doubt's like that. Doubt's what makes you draw back, cross your fingers, that occult symbol, and do stuff like that. But doubt comes by hearing. And as faith lifts you up and blesses you, doubt destroys you. Because God doesn't honor doubt. He honors faith. And yet doubt is an act of a man's will, just like faith is an act of a man's will. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. If you're unwilling and disobedient, you won't. But it's the same power. The only difference between faith and doubt tonight, the only difference between the power of faith and the power of doubt is the exercise of your will towards one or the other. When it's faith, you are willing to say, let God be true. I'm taking him at his word. When it's doubt, it says, well, I'm going to believe what my body tells me. I'm going to believe the symptoms. I'm going to believe what I read in the paper. I'm going to believe what everybody else believes and be the majority. That's your faith. That's your choice. And faith is always the choice, just like doubt is always the choice. Just like anger and love is a choice. So is faith and so is doubt. Faith always was and always shall be an act of your will to take God at his word or to count on God. Anybody can do that who is willing. But very few people do because they let so much invade their life and talk them out of it. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 9. And then we'll go to 8. Matthew chapter 9, let's begin in verse 27. Again, you know the story, but I want to bring something out. I'll start with this question. How did these three passages, where wonderful things happen because of faith, how did they manifest their faith, causing him, Jesus or God, to honor it? In other words... How did their faith manifest itself? Because everybody can talk the word. I've grown up with people, spiritually grown up, with people who still today can confess the word, but there's little results. They still talk the word, still quote the Bible, still remember this message, that message, this meeting, that meeting. But all that aside, what did they do then that manifested their faith that caused God to honor it? What did they do? Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And it says, And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? And they said, Yea, Lord. And he said, According to your faith, be it unto you. That's a very short, simple narrative of a wonderful miracle in the Bible that two men experienced. But what are we looking for? What does it say here that we need? I know you all know the story. In fact, you know it so well that if an outsider asks you what this story is, you could tell them. Again, it's very brief. It's easy to remember. First of all, just think of the situation. Two blind men followed Jesus. 
Now, it doesn't say how fast he walked. I know from having been there in this area up in the Sea of Galilee or the lake up there, I know that the terrain is not sidewalkish. It's very difficult to walk. I mean, I found that when you got off the, the man-made roads in like some of the little places, Caesarea Philippi, some of those places where we read in the Bible, they were pretty rugged places. They built in sides of the hill and on uneven ground. Now think of this. Two blind men followed him. Doesn't say how far he walked. Doesn't say what distance they had to travel. But two blind men followed him. Now, obvious question. Why did they follow him? Because they wanted him to heal them. You got to realize, too, there was no other help for them. There was nobody else that could help them. They were going to be blind the rest of their life. Most people in that situation would probably just learn to live with it, make the best of it, and write a book on how they glorify God with this situation. But they weren't good with that. I think that they were born into this world. Somehow they must have heard somebody talk in faith and said that, you know, God didn't make us to live life like that. There is something that can happen to us that we don't have to have this condition all of our life. Well, how are we going to get fixed? Well, Jesus, I heard the other day that he's fed 4,000 men up on the hillside. And my friend who was there, I wasn't there, but he was telling me about it. He said they brought unto him every kind of human condition that you can think of. They had to carry some. Some were on crutches. Some limped. Some walked. Some were not right mentally. And everybody, every single person that he touched or spoke to or prayed for, every one of them got healed. There wasn't any that didn't. The entire group of people, it took all day long. There were so many of them, it took all day long that he worked a miracle to feed them. There wasn't anything too hard. Do you think that would boost a man's faith? If he healed everybody, he didn't leave anybody out, maybe he'll heal me. How can I get to him? Well, he's in Galilee. How am I going to get there? Well, I don't know. You're on your own. But I'm blind. Well, sorry about that. How many times have you ever felt like that? So these two blind men begin to work their way around. And I don't think they had the approval of all the people around them. I don't think people had that much sympathy for blind people. Say, here, let me help you. I'm sure some did. Doesn't say how far he walked. But if he walked very far, this tough trip, and the only thing that would make you stay with it and hang in there would be the fact that you're determined that he is going to say something to me. He is going to pray for me. And yet they cried out. Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And he acted as though he didn't hear them. It says he kept going. And how long he kept going, I don't know, but your Bible says, and when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him. They did not end their journey listening to people say, why don't you just leave him alone? He didn't go to work. He doesn't have time for you. He's busy. Some people get healed and some people don't. Why don't you accept that? And I could hear him. I didn't come this far to take no for an answer. I'm here to see him. And he went into the house. What house? This house in front of you. Lead me up there to it. They got up there to the house, and he was there. Did they knock on the door? It doesn't say. Was he standing in the doorway? It doesn't say. But they stayed with him. And if he had gone in the house, I'm sure they banged on that door as long as they had to. Until somebody said, you're going to have to either answer the door or we're going to, have to buy a new one. Because there's a couple of guys out there that will not talk to anybody else but you. And he opened the door, testing their faith. And he said to them, what do you want? You believe I can do this? What do you want? <laughs> Lord, we want to be healed. You believe I can do it? We do. You know what he did? He didn't touch them. He didn't pray for them. He didn't speak a word of healing to them. He simply addressed what they had. And he said, be it unto you according to your faith. How would you have fared? How would we have done if that was the only condition that would get us healed, not some miraculous gift that some minister had? 
not some special anything, but nothing more than me approaching God and an instrument, a vessel of God saying to me, what are you here for? You're here for healing? Well, then if you really believe in that, then be healed. We've gotten healed. I wonder how many today didn't get healed. I wonder how many of the last 40 years that I have run around, known and this and that, hundreds of meetings. I wonder how many people finally just let go of it, got dissatisfied with this whole message, and went back, forget it. I wonder how many. But these two guys wouldn't. God still has people like this somewhere in the church. They're still there. They're still saying, I am not going to let go until I get to him, and he's going to give me an answer. Remember the men that tore the roof off? The guys that lowered him down through the roof? The crowd around that house wasn't going to keep them out of the house. I do believe this. If they couldn't have gotten up to the roof, they would have parked outside there like a tent city. They would have parked outside there until eventually he came out because he couldn't stay in that house the rest of his life. And these four guys were probably going to say, you stay right here, brother. He had, what else could he do? His body is impaired for the rest of his life. And most people just say, that's just life. That's just the way it is. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But this guy said, it doesn't have to be like that for me. Because something inside of me tells me that he can heal me. But I have to get to him. See, today we pray that, that in this time they had to get to him. And so they took him there. Paul one time preached, remember, he said in Acts 14, it said he saw there a man who had faith to be healed. If somebody had said to him, be it unto you according to your faith, he would have been healed too. God's no respecter of persons or ages. He watches over his word as much tonight here in Shelbyville as he has in any age, anywhere. God is faithful. He will do exactly what he said if you can believe it. The thing of it is, when Jesus said, do you believe that I am able to do this? They would not give up. Now, folks, here some of us are. 30 years later, there's still some things that haven't manifested yet. Some things still seem to linger. The devil bombards you with all kinds of thoughts. Those thoughts are like little fiery darts. They're designed to bring doubt instead of faith. You have one thing. God has given you some equipment to deal with darts. You know what the equipment is? That's right. The shield of baptismal. No, the shield of faith wherewith you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of Satan. That has to be mental. It has to be mental. Because most of the devil's attacks are on your mind. It's never going to work. It's not going to be like it's supposed to be. Have you ever seen this or that healed? Have you ever seen somebody with a wrong chromosome problem in it? You ever seen one of those just completely made normal in a moment? No? Well, then how do you know it'll ever work? Well, it doesn't work because somebody in history got healed. It works because God said it in his word to those who believe it. What they manifested to Jesus was a durable faith that says we are not giving up on our desire. They followed him through the rocks, through the ditches. They might have fallen down. They might have been beat up and bruised. But they got to the house. They said, Lord, we've been crying to you all day. We've been very desperate. We don't want to live like this the rest of our life. We don't want our children to live like this. Remember the man with the little boy that had the palsy? Cried out, oh, if you can do anything, help. Jesus said, it's not whether I can do anything, it's can you believe? That's all it takes. To recognize that God is the eternal source of all of man's needs, both now and forever. God. Now go to Matthew 8. Go back one chapter where we first quoted this evening. Matthew chapter 8, and let's begin at verse 5. And when Jesus entered to Capernaum, this is a wonderful story. You know this one well. There came to him a centurion beseeching him. Now, I would assume this centurion was not Jewish, but he was an occupier and not of their country. And this centurion came to Jesus and he said, 
Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. His servant might have been Jewish. I don't know. But it says he lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Other translation says miserably demonized. One translation says grievously tormented would be like saying he was demonized and tortured. Something on the inside would not give him rest or peace. He was grievously vexed. He had the pause. He couldn't stop doing what he was doing. He could not realize any improvements. He was just the way he was, and that's the way he was going to be. And so he said to him, how long has he been grievously tormented and sick? Well, one thing, it doesn't say it, it doesn't matter. Fact is, right now, for whatever reason, however this happened, whenever this spirit came into this man, he is grievously tormented. He bothers all of us, bothers everybody around him. It's very distracting. There's nothing we can do to help him. There are no drugs, and they wouldn't use them anyway. Verse 7, and Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. Now, could he? Let me ask you here tonight, can he still do this? Does anybody in here have anything? Now, don't answer me, please, but is anybody in here tonight grievously vexed? You say, well, no, I just have occasional migraines. Is that worse than being grievous vexed or probably a little less? You know, I've never had a migraine, so I don't know, but I would imagine that grievously vexed, which lasts all day long, is worse than something which is temporary. It didn't matter to Jesus what it was. It didn't matter what the condition was, how far gone it was, or even how it happened. It just says that my servant lies at home sick, grievously tormented. Now, when Jesus said, I'll come and heal him, the centurion answered and said to him, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Now, one thing we see here in this particular story the three stories we look at, this one here is different from the other ones in that not the others weren't humble, they all were. But this guy knew something about authority. He probably didn't have to say this. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. He didn't have to say anything. He could have just said, okay, and gone home and let it happen. But for our sakes, this is what he said. He said, I know something about authority. I'm a soldier. I command certain numbers of troops. I tell this one to go, and they have to go because of who I am, the authority I have over them. They have to listen to me, and if I say you go, they have to go, or they'll be in real trouble. Now, you also are a man of authority. You have authority in the unseen world, the one that we can't cope with naturally. And when you tell these demons or these spirits to go, they have to listen to you. When you tell them to come out of a man or to flee or go into the pigs or whatever you tell them to do, they have to go. They cannot stay. Sometimes they try to stay. They might throw a little boy in a fire or throw him down as though he's dead. Though he's not dead, they can manifest some ugly thing to scare people, but they have to go. But Jesus said so. And so he said, you know, when you tell these demons to go or you exercise your authority over things like sickness and palsy and diseases, that sickness and that disease and that palsy, which has a spirit of infirmity behind it, it has to listen to you because you have authority over it. There's no need for you to come to my house or in your realm, in this world that you are authority over. All you have to do is speak a word. And if you say to me, your servant is healed, then my servant will be healed because there's no way what you say cannot work. Let me ask you a question. Has Jesus said anything to us about what we can rely on? How much in our New Testament is there for us to rely on? How many promises does he make to us about divine healing? The prayer of faith sometimes heals the sick, he said. He said, the prayer of faith heals the sick. He said, what things ever you desire, well, when you pray, if you will believe you have it when you pray, then you'll get it because heaven will back that. God did not give us an aimless, 
empty word that might work and might not work. God gave us a word that is full of faith and power. His word doesn't come back empty because it didn't go out empty. They're not empty words. The words contain something. The words I'm speaking to you now from this book, as I pray, is, is inspired. These same words that God wants to take off the ink of this paper and put onto your heart. Once those words become as much life to you as they were to that centurion. So that you as a centurion can look at diseases and say, you know, when Jesus speaks to you, you're going to have to go. I got no problem. If I find him, I'll go to him. You'll be healed. You know what? He was. And here's what Jesus said to it. Here's what he said to it. In verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed. Now, Jesus marveled twice in the New Testament. Jesus was God in human flesh, and twice he marveled. He marveled solely because of what he heard that men said. And here was one case where he marveled at this centurion's faith. And also in Mark 6, he marveled. And unbelief, how in the world is it that you cannot believe me having seen all the things that I have done? What more needs to be done to quicken your faith? Can't you just take a word? The centurion, all he needed was a word. That was great. He said, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. In verse 13, go thy way, centurion. I've heard what you said. I don't know if your preacher taught you to say that or not, or you read that in a book, but if you believe that and you go home, your servant will be healed. And you know what it says? He was healed. Is there any reason the same thing won't work for us? Is there any reason why this shouldn't be in our life? Is there any reason why we shouldn't be equipped with the same word as that centurion was? He didn't have much. We've got as much as he had. If it worked for him, why wouldn't it work for us? I mean, that's what he said. So here we are tonight for the 8,000th time hearing about faith again and again and again because this is the very key to everybody's life in this room. I challenge myself today. You know, you're challenging these folks here to get back on this faith train and let this thing choo-choo on through life. Why don't you use it for the church itself? And I said, I will. I'm going to believe God that he's going to stir us up. Why couldn't I say in the name of Jesus, these people, all of them that are here, that want to be here, that come here, they're all going to be stirred up. They're all going to take a quick look at themselves or a long, lengthy look at themselves and where they are, where they're not. They're going to have a moment where they're going to sit down and challenge themselves. And we're going to come to the place that when we meet, God will be here glorified. That God will find pleasure in our worship and in our being here. And that the result of what he does in such an atmosphere will cause us to go out and have this testimony that this guy had. And we'll be rejoicers. The light will be burning good. Amen. And all of that. But humility. The Bible says, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Humility. Riches, honor, life. It's Proverbs 22 and verse 4. And then you remember the verse of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 5 about your adversary, the devil, in verse 8 and 9. Well, in verse 5, 1 Peter 5, it says, Be clothed with humility, all of you, for God resisteth the proud. And he honors the humble, gives grace to the humble. Now go to Matthew 15. Matthew 15, verse 22. You know this story well. You should know. This is a wonderful story. To the coast of Tyre and Sidon. We've been around there. And behold, verse 22, a woman of Canaan. That's over on the coast. A woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David, just like those blind men did. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Again, a demon. But he answered her not a word. How many would quit? See, it seemed like 
You know, we preach on love so much. <laughs> you hear about a loving, compassionate, merciful God who requires the same traits to be in us as he is, so are we. As he would, so should we. As your father loves others, so should you love others. That includes caring and helping and gentleness and kindness and sometimes leaving people alone let God test them. But here's a woman had a great need. Her daughter had a demon. There was no drug for demon. All a drug can do today is suppress whatever the demon's manifesting through and they can dull your senses there and so forth. But it can't remove the demon. And so this demon vexed means tormented her little girl and here's a mother who spends more time with her children when they're growing up than anybody and she's watching this child whom she can't help go through things she can't stop there is nobody who can help them just like that other woman with the issue of blood you can spend all you have and you're nothing better because there's nothing human that can fix this you're stuck in life with a condition that cannot be fixed naturally, normally. It says that she came to Jesus and she cried, Son of David, have mercy on my daughter. But he answered her not a word. He ignored her. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away. She keeps crying out after us. Did they care about her? I'm asking you, did they show a lot of mercy and compassion to her? Nobody did. You ever felt like that? Have you ever in your saved life ever felt like that nobody cares or I'm praying and claiming I've been giving and helping and hoping and I, I am nothing better? And I hear the same old glamorized sermon every week and yet it, it isn't working for me. Have you ever felt like that? No. You've heard people who have felt like that. Well, here's a woman who went to the source, the great source of man's needs. Son of David, have mercy. Have mercy. My daughter is vexed with a demon. And he ignored her. The Bible said he didn't answer her. Just like those two blind men. I don't know how long they called out to him. They yelled. He just kept going. They were close as they could get to him. Maybe back over there. And you could hear them. Oh, son of David! He just, he just kept going. Now here's a woman in his presence. Right there where he is. Oh, help me, Lord. He didn't even act like she was in the room. Would Jesus ever do that? Well, I guess he would. Apparently he did. What was he doing? Did he not care about this woman? Was she under a curse? Was she under some kind of divine judgment, and therefore she is disqualified from any help from God? It doesn't say anything like that, does it? It just simply said she had a daughter, and her daughter was in a bad way, possessed of an evil spirit, greatly troubled. She had a broken heart for her little girl, however old she was, but she wasn't without hope. And she didn't give in to sorrow and despair. She didn't give in to all that yakety-yak that, that Job's friends would tell somebody going through a trial. Oh, that looks serious. Ooh, that doesn't look good. You ought to do something. Ooh, that's awful. Ooh, have you done anything for it? You know, it's like Jesus is not the one you should go to. The world's your source. However, however, he said to her in verse 24, but he answered and said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So she said, well, that's not what you told us, centurion. You didn't say that to him. She probably wasn't there when he talked to him. He's testing her. He tests us. She wants a great need to be met. She's going to have to have a good level of faith here. He's putting her to the test. I didn't come to heal you, woman. I didn't come to heal your daughter. Children's bread doesn't belong to Gentiles. I came only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Children's bread is healing and deliverance for those whom he came for. I didn't come for you, woman. 
So the Bible says in verse 25, then she said, I am so sorry to bother you, Lord, and I'll be on my way and just learn to live with my problem, and I will not bother you anymore because I know this is not anything you're interested in. Now, if you have one of those newer translations that says that, you need to get you a magic marker, even though it says magic, and block it out or one of those markers and get rid of that because... Verse 25, this is a mother. We're talking about a mother that's got some faith. I didn't come to heal you. I didn't come to heal your daughter. I'm not here for you people. You know what she did? She pressed in. She's like those other ones. She was determined that she's going to get this. She's going to be tested. Is this just your emotion as a woman with a child, or are you really sincere? I mean, are you set on the fact that Jesus is all you need? And so she said, Lord, help me. Just, Lord, help me. See, how many of you know that Lord, help me is a pretty simple sentence? Lord, help me. That's like that profound sermon that Jesus preached to Peter when he was... Peter said, if it be that I bid me to come to you on the water. Remember that sermon that Jesus preached to Peter? Come, one word. Creation, be. And it was. Lord, I'm not going to waste my time telling you all about how sincere I am and how serious I am and how desperate I am and how this is dragging me down. And Lord, my heart is totally broken. You already know that. Knowing that you know that. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Do you think God would respond to that? Have you ever done that yourself? You ever been there on a lonely night or a difficult day? Lord, help me. I've come to the end of my rope. I don't know what to do, and I can't do anything else. You know what he said to her, verse 26? It's not meat to take children's bread and cast it to dogs. Boy, he's leaning on her heart, isn't he? It's not right to take children's bread and give it to dogs. You know what she did? She said, I will admit to you, my evaluation of my life is probably on par with a dog. I'm not much of a human being. I have little to offer of any good to anybody. I've messed up more times in my life than the law allows or that, as you say in Kentucky, you can shake a stick at. I have messed up a lot. I'm not much. I'm not real smart. I don't know a lot. It's just a lot of things that I fall short in. But I'm here because only you can help me. And he said, children's bread is not for dogs. She said, that's truth, Lord, but the dogs, people like me, Eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. I like this part of it. It'd be like her saying, I don't need a whole mouthful of what you got. All I need from you is what they don't want. They knock it off the table. There's a little crumb on the floor like the dog would lick it up. If I could just get a crumb, just a little piece of what you got, that's all it would take. There's enough power in a crumb to heal my whole household. You know what Jesus said to her? Verse 28, then Jesus answered and said to her, great is thy faith. And for the second or third time tonight, be it unto you according as you have believed. You know what she had that manifested her faith? Determination. Listen to me, all of it. She didn't quit. The centurion didn't give up. Nobody in these narratives quit. Everybody, before they came to the Lord, no doubt settled in their heart, if I can get to Jesus, whether it's two blind men or that centurion or, or the men that tore the roof out or that fellow with his son thrown into the fire, if I can get to Jesus, wherever he's preaching on the hillside, if I can stay with him long enough till he's done and I can get to him, all my problems will be over. Because he can fix anything every single time. Amen. That's right. Amen. He has never failed. 
Everything he says happens. Every time he touches somebody, anytime and every time, they get healed. People that can't think normal, people that can't talk, people who can't control their body or their bowels or their slobbering, he touches them and they're well. Now, before I go to him and hang in here all day, because you might be tested like this. You might feel a sense of rejection from him. How long has it been since you prayed for the condition you're praying for? How long has it been since you prayed for whatever it is? I can think of something myself for about 40 years. You mean it hadn't manifested? No, not yet. But I don't bother myself with it. I cast all my cares, my things I would tend to worry about and fret over, cast them over on the Lord. How many of you believe that if you prayed the prayer of faith, when you prayed, he heard you? And the first time you prayed, he heard you. So what are we supposed to learn from all of this? What's the law here? Now, by law, I mean the governing principle. So what is this? I mean, how does this work? What do I do to have God say to me every day of my life, anytime there's a problem, what can I do when he looks at me and says, okay, be it unto you according to your faith? What can I do? I know this. I know this. Faith works. Faith operates by a law. I know we don't believe in laws, but let me tell you something. Faith operates by a law. There is a way that God has given for faith to work. It works that way. Now, it comes by hearing, hearing by the word, and you begin to count on God to do that. You walk it out, you confess it, you act it, you endure it and all of that. And God honors his word. Now, Sunday I said there is a faith that honors God and then there is a faith that makes men proud. Been a lot of men who've gone out with spectacular recommendations and writings about them, tent meetings by the thousands and around the world and great crowds and crutches hanging on the wall and wheelchairs emptied and praise God for all of that. And yet it seemed like so many of them didn't do well at the end of their life. They were corrupted in some way with money or women or alcohol and it seemed like that what should have turned out to be a, a time of Elijah's chariot going to heaven, these people died hard. But they had all this faith. Look at all the people who listened to what they said, believed what they said, and God honored what they said. It profited those men very little. Just like in Matthew 7. But Lord, didn't we do miracles and cast out devil? Didn't we do all of that? And he said, I never knew you because there is a way that faith comes about that honors God and not man. There is a way that faith uplifts and glorifies God and not the vessel that God uses. And the vessel has to be careful when God begins to honor his faith. Like in Luke 17, you're still an unprofitable servant. You start getting the glory for all this. They start making you somebody big, and you take that glory for yourself. You're going to corrupt yourself. People will always believe a word. A gifts and callings are without repentance. If God bless a man with a certain kind of a ministry and a gift, there's an unction on that gift that when that man operates in that gift, it, the gift works, God honors what he says. And he lays hands on people. If they do get healed. But he himself, it blessed him not, benefited, profited him not because he didn't do it out of love for God. It might have been a job he did, another meeting this week. We've got to go to that. Now we've got another big meeting there. And he might have had a routine, a schedule, learn how to say things. People don't know your life. They believe what you say. When you say the right things, God honors what you say. People get blessed. But as far as a preacher's concerned, He'll get no reward on the other side because what he said wasn't out of his love for God and for God's people. Because the first great commandment is love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul, all your might and all your strength. And the second is like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. That brings us back to this compassion and stuff and caring. 
and being willing to lay your life down and benefit other people at your own expenses and at your own concerns and so forth. But faith works by a law, and when it works as God commissions it, and you begin to see what God sees, and when you as best you can begin to care as God cares, when you begin to want to relieve the needs of people as God inspires you to, and that's your heart, then your faith, like he said, your faith will always work. It will. Somebody, somebody in my lifetime is destined, in my lifetime, somebody is destined to benefit from what God has called me to do. Now, somebody is. I would like to think it's you. I've spent more time here than lived here longer than anywhere I've ever lived in my life. But God keeps records. I threw mine away. Would like to think that everybody in this room is on this earth for a reason. There is a purpose for all of us being here, all of us. May it so be that when our time is over, it's time to go home. When it's that moment, may we be able to say somebody in my lifetime is going to the kingdom of God because you use me. I can't claim as, as my success, can I? I didn't save them. God did. God did. So, faith is a law that when it works and glorifies God, it does certain things, some simple things. Let me share it with you, and then we'll close. One, your faith, which all of you have as Christians... God has given to each Christian a measure of faith, Romans 12, 3. God has given to every man the measure of faith. You may have a little bit of it. It might not take much. A mustard seed isn't a whole lot, is it? We all have a measure of faith. It's designed to grow and increase. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 11 talks about our faith increases. It grows and increases. I think it says there that your faith groweth exceedingly. Now, the faith you have is designed to grow. There is something that makes it grow, and that's the Word of God. The purpose in this case of the Word of God is to show you what you can believe and what you can do. Now, your faith, listen to me, all of you. This is an important point tonight. Your faith will never work for you unless you use it. You've got it. God has given you a measure of faith. How many of you know you're saved? All right, that's most of you. You know you're saved. The same faith that God gave you in order to save you is the same faith that God will honor to heal you, to save your children, to revive this church to give you a better job, to improve your relationship at home, to get you a better student in school, high school anyway. I don't know about that other one. It's the same principle. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe. If you want your faith to profit you, you'll have to mix it with the word. You've got faith. You don't need to go somewhere and get it. You've got it. Tonight, sitting in your chair, God has given you a measure of faith. It is designed to grow. And as it grows, it flourishes. And as it flourishes, it changes your life. You walk by faith and not by sight. And you receive the end of your faith, 1 Peter 1, the salvation of your soul. So it leads to a saved life. Now, but it'll never do anything in your life if you sit here, listen to this, and never use it. I told people before, claim something what I claim. Well, I can draw you a picture. How about a new refrigerator? Don't need one, all right? Some new tires for the car. Well, they're all right. Okay. And some new shoes for the kids. Oh, it's summertime. They don't need shoes. Okay. 
How about a vacation for your family? Oh, that's spoiled. They'd want to do it all the time if I did that. I don't know why you have faith. What are you going to do with it? All of you that have a business, how many of you are self-employed? That's a pretty good bunch of you. Now, there you are. I can talk to you. The rest of you can just listen for a minute. Let me talk to yourself. Use your faith and say, Lord, you gave me this for a purpose. Now, you said this faith is designed to work. It not only draws me into a relationship with you, but when I release it and it's according to your word, it doesn't come back empty. I mean, if it's based on the word, it's Isaiah 55, 11. So shall the word be that goes forth out of my mouth, shall, shall not return void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It'll prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Would you like to make a little more money than you're making now? For the right reason, I like to make some more money so my pocket sounds good and I walk down it. No. You know, if I had more than I have now, I could improve a few things around the house. The kids, wife, we could maybe enjoy some things a little bit more. God does give us richly all things to enjoy. He adds no sorrow to what he gives. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life every day to get up and know that He'll bless you when you go out. He'll bless you when you come in. Everything you put your hands to, he'll make it prosper. That doesn't work because he said that. You have to use your faith for that, don't you? Of course you do. You have to believe that. But if you don't use your faith, and if you don't say something like, Lord, I lay hold of that now in Jesus' name. But you're going to bless my steps today. You're going to bring somebody in my path today. I'm going to witness to somebody today. Saving them's up to you, but I'm going to witness to them. Let me know, and you bring them in there. Praise the Lord. Or I'm going to get a new job, a better job, better customers, more customers. I'm going to get myself out of a hole and out of debt, and I'm going to get myself free. Not so I can brag, but just so that there are a way of life called the abundant life that honors God, and I want that. I do want that. Have you got a garden? That's six or eight of you. I know this works. You can go out to your garden and say, little garden, listen up. This is your owner speaking. This is your uh, overseer of this earth speaking. I want you all to start really growing good and doing good. I speak a blessing on all these tomatoes. But it's too dry. I don't care if it's hot and dry. It doesn't matter. If God said you can believe, you can believe. When are we going to get any rain? These tomatoes don't need rain. <laughs> what some farmers in Illinois told me years ago in a drought, and I was over there, and I said, what are you boys going to do if you don't get any rain? Boys knew how to use their faith. They looked, one of them looked at each other and looked at me and said, he said, brother, our corn doesn't need water. All right. It is sticking in the dust, and out the dust it comes. Praise the Lord. Yeah, they got a lot of bushels per acre that year. Use your faith. It doesn't do anything until you use it. Look at all the things you've been pointed to for the last 30 years. Use it for that. I do all the time. Car story. A dealer one time was talking to me. We were on the lot, and he said, you know, I don't know what you need. You know what I told him? Because there's a good chance for me to say what I believe. I'm not buying this car because I have a need. I'm buying it because I want to. And I could hear him going, what? He said, I'm not buying this car because I need it. I don't need a car. I, mean, I can get a bicycle, a scooter, an old farm truck, anything short of a horse. <laughs> what I was saying was, I'm not here because I have this great need. I'm here because I would like to have this. He said, he gave me the desires of my heart. It's not a struggle to buy this. Because I got one to trade in, but just about pay for it. But point of it is, he gives me what I desire. I've learned to use my faith 44 years. I promise you this done some good things in 44 years. How many of you believe it could make you happily married for at least 43 and a half of them? Well, I got to give her some room. I mean, I'm the one that's the problem, not her, but... It does something when you release faith, like Jesus said, if thou canst believe. It takes something else. Your faith won't work unless it's word-based. 
people criticize us in books, they say this about the faith people, that we just conjure up things to say that we want to believe for. Oh, we're going to believe this and we're going to believe that without regard for whether or not that's the will of God. Now, I have never taught that that way. You can't teach everything you want to say in one meeting. That's why you teach a series. People may hear what they want to hear, but you cover that ground too. That faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. And only God's word, as he reveals it to you, is God's will for you. Not everybody sees it. A lot of people have eyes to see. They can't see it. They have ears to hear. Folks, I've been doing this for a long time. I've seen it, a simple message go in one ear and out the other, and people don't get it. This is about as simple a message as there is to me, and they don't get it. But the reason that they don't get it is because they can't. God doesn't just let everybody understand this. A casual visitor isn't going to understand this. He hears something that doesn't register with his humanistic way of thinking. He goes out, he goes, that's crazy. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He can't understand it. It's John chapter 8. He said, why is it that you do not understand my word? Jesus said, because you can't. You can't. You can't even hear it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to open your eyes and open your ears and put into your heart the word of God. Church members by the bunches can't hear what God is saying. They hear what they want to hear, but they can't hear what he's saying. They learn how to be religious, but they cannot be spiritual men. They cannot use their faith because they don't know how it works. But if you don't get the word in your heart, because it is word-based, but it's got to be in your heart. If you don't get the word in your heart, as the psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Or as Jeremiah said, your words were found and I did eat them and thy words were unto me, the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. If you don't get the word in your heart, if you only mull it over in your mind, try to figure it out and kick it out if it doesn't make sense, it'll never work for you. You'll get so frustrated listening to this that you'll finally get out of here and go join another church because nothing's going on in your heart. That could be there's something higher in your life that's preventing that too. You need to really deal with that. I'd hate to think that I've wasted 44 years of my life talking about something that I didn't believe. Can you imagine when Paul said, I have to keep myself, I have to maintain myself because if I don't, I could preach to others and yet at the end of my life, I could be a castaway. It didn't work for me. It worked for everybody I preached. They all went in the kingdom, but I didn't go with them. Boy, that would be terrible. That would absolutely be awful. Would you turn to John 15 so we could begin closing? John chapter 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. This is essential, absolutely essential for the kind of faith that honors God. Not the kind of faith that may get you a car or get you a whatever, but the kind of faith that God approves of and brings divine results, things that glorify him, this is essential, that you abide in him and his words abide in you. Two things. You learn his word. You deal with his word. You memorize his word. You study his word. You speak his word. You hold his word into your heart. This is the only thing on this earth that God said he would watch over, that he is looking at to perform. That's his word. The word can only fit in hearts. You can write about it and all of that stuff, but it's made to live in a person's heart because it's a living word. If the heart is dead, a living word won't fit there. How's this song goes? Spirit of the Lord is alive in me. Well, then the word of God is alive in you too. And when the word of God is alive in you, to make this right, to add to something Sunday, to make this living word right, it all goes back to the Lordship of Jesus over that word in your life, following directions. You know what you can do. Now do it as he shows you. Don't give up. Don't back away. Honor him with it. Stay true with it. God will bless you. This is how you honor God. Remember Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12? 
He said, I'm watching over my word to perform it. This is this translation said, I watch over my word to give effect to it. Watch over my word. Now, when that word is abiding in me and I'm in Christ, then what's on my mind, hopefully, is this. How can I do this in a way that you approve of it? I know that cars don't make me spiritual. I know new homes and paid for out of debt and healthy body. That doesn't make me spiritual. One man went to heaven with sores all over his body. What made the man spiritual was what was in his heart. Now, with the message that God has given us all these years, you put these words in your heart, realizing the essentialness of them, and then your relationship with Jesus is, Lord, how do I do this to serve you best? I'm going to buy a new car, Lord. I'm going to buy a new home. I'm going to buy a new whatever. Now, I know you've promised me that because I've read it in your word. Now, I ask you to lead me to it in the right time and the right way in Jesus' name. You think that's good? That would be good. Because then when it happens, you'll be blessed. You'll enjoy the blessing, but you'll be blessed. When the human spirit is thus inspired, it's easy for you to say, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. I have no fear of this or that because God said to fear not. I'm not afraid of this or not afraid of that. I'm not dreading this or dreading that because I have a word that says the opposite. It's what the word does to us. And when you release that word because you're abiding in Christ, I think you have come to the conclusion that you're convinced and persuaded of God's unfailing integrity. That the Almighty God really does watch over his word. He really does. He really, 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 really is the author of that book that you're holding in your lap. He really did give those words to you and me. He really did send his spirit to give us an understanding of those words so that we can be enlightened and illumined and have hope in this life and peace and joy. He really did. And when you're convinced that God will do what he said, when you're convinced that God didn't make an aimless promise, and if I've got a promise, he'll keep it, you, like the people in these narratives that we read about tonight, you won't give up. God's going to do what he said. I'm not going to give up. He called me as much as a dog. Fine. I am a dog. But all I want is a crumb. Jesus said, you got great faith, woman. I want that. I don't need some spectacular wow moment or some special person to lay hands on me. I just want to believe the simple word that he said. And in the privacy of my own little habitation, things can happen. I can walk in peace and joy. And when I need to lay hands on somebody, I can lay hands on them and know that when I touch their head, they're going to be healed because these signs will follow a believer. As God directs that life to do that, they get healed. When we try to do it, it never does work, does it? But when God sees the heart, he sees the climate, sees the condition, and he moves you that way. You lay the hands there. You speak to a person, whatever it is. God sets them free. So, hold fast to the words you've been hearing. Hold fast. Don't let go of it. Remember, he that endures to the end shall be saved. Well, your faith will be manifested. That thing I'm talking about 40 years, it's going to manifest. It's going to get fixed. God's going to do that. Can he do that? Of course he can. He's going to do that. I'm going to close with this. Close again. You know why then having this message in your heart, you know why we then rejoice? If we rejoice. You know why we rejoice? Because of the reality of it. Though the fig tree should not blossom, poor woman. Though there be no fruit on the vine, poor farmer. Though the yield of the olives should fail, 
Poor farmer, though there be no herd in the stall, man, what happened to everything? Everything's disaster and doom and gloom. In Israel, when all of these things fail, no water and pestilence, and then you got this drought, there's nothing else. There is nothing else. That's all there is. And he said, though I lose all of those things, you know what he said? Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord because my life is not based on the abundance of things I have, but on my relationship and my faith in God. Blessed be the Lord. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, bless to the hearts of your people this eternal and everlasting word of yours. Loose us from bondage, from doubts, anxieties, and cares, from the fear of sicknesses and diseases, fretting over this. God, let your word shine like a bright light in our hearts and reveal to us, take away the veil and show us again that you watch over your word to perform it. May that blessing rest upon these people, for you shall revive us again, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen.